to the blackout where i get to talk to amazing people who do amazing things and today my guest someone that started with one career i was like no no i'm gonna do something else nick ogden thanks for coming to the podcast today hello so you know found out you used to be this audio engineer and you're like no i really actually want to go into um selling and houses and stuff what led to the switch oh man so i mean at the old age of 29 <laughs> i've already had three careers and it's been uh it's been great like i have learned so much stuff mm. um so i was very very fortunate from a younger age of like 15 or 16 to have a very encouraging uh double bass teacher mm. and that double bass teacher uh took me under her wing and kind of showed me all the cool tricks and all that of recording and i was like ah oh, hell yeah that's sick so, like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be the next producer of the world and, you know, really just make it. Mm. Boy, did I land short. <laughs> uh, I landed pretty short. And um, I went through school, went to a private college, which is now Da Vinci College on uh, Barrington Street. Mm. And, uh, you know, I had my own little business for a little while. I did a couple recordings, a couple uh, producing, um, did a lot of live sound setup. I mm -hmm. worked with an um, international company that did all like the live sound setup for a uh, place at the Metro Center, or Scotiabank Center now, mm -hmm. um, which was fun, you know. I can say I like built the, if you were ever at the KISS concert here and you saw Gene Simmons flying around, I helped build that spider. Oh, wow. It was cool stuff, yeah, but it sucked. What about it sucked? <laughs> well, you know, when you're working, uh, split shift of like six hours and then come back four hours later and then another six hour shift Holy so you shit. leave at like three in the morning yeah and you're looking around at people that are well established in their careers and you're like i just i can't do that mm. <laughs> you know and so i took a couple of years off and quit all that uh went to school um and got my business degree uh from dell and then throughout all of that schooling uh, Two Crows Brewing opened up when I worked there for a long time, uh, climbing the ranks, and I was like their operations manager for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and so that really sort of established and gave me world world experience, um, running a business, helping someone run a business, managing people, um, understanding the interpersonal skills that a lot of folks uh, don't get to experience that young in life. Mm -hmm. um, so I was very, very fortunate and just unbelievably happy to have that job um but it just you know you, you're working for someone else very very hard and you're like i have this ambition i want to do something about myself mm -hmm. and throughout all of this since i was about 18 um my dad really pushed me to kind of look at investing in real estate and so i worked with um well actually the brokerage i work with now uh and at the time they were doing very specific high-end builds mm -hmm. and they would only get uh, they would only do builds when they were on contract. So they weren't doing track builds, they weren't doing a ton, they're just very specific people that wanted these smart homes, which is kind of unique in like 2011, 2013. Mm -hmm. um, and so I worked with them for a little bit, kind of investing uh, and kind of doing some of their projects. And then I think when I was like 24, 25, um, a really good friend and I bought our first income property and that kind of spurred that all off um and so we ran that and again 
another great lesson in interpersonal skills, understanding um, the vulnerability of people and, you know, having, for lack of a better word, some control in that mm -hmm. and really understanding that responsibility. And for me, that was a huge piece of it, understanding the responsibility of being not only like the, the person that's responsible for maintaining the physical structure, the mm. interpersonal behaviors and relationships between the actual people living there, mm -hmm. because sometimes, you know, the tenants weren't friends. Like, they, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so you had to deal with that. Mm. Um, and throughout all that, like, I was working, doing my thing, um, and, but that really gave me the itch. Mm. The itch to, like, help people, the itch to be in real estate, uh, to want to be sort of that like interconnected person, mm -hmm. you know, that also was spurred on by that role I had at the brewery, right? Mm -hmm. Always kind of being like the, that major cog, making sure everything else is working well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's that's where it came from. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the property you go with your friend. What was it? Was it like a house? A... It was an over-under set of flats. Um, oh. So we got our first house, which was a beautiful little property. Um, just off of the Armdale Rotary, kind of heading towards um, uh, uh, Fleming Heights, so almost through Spryfield. Mm -hmm. uh, loved the house. It was fantastic. Worked really well for us. Uh, we were very, very fortunate to have a couple uh, great tenants in there. Um, but at the end of it, like, we no longer have houses, primarily through personal growth and understanding interpersonal relationships, mm. you end up hating your best friend. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, Paul, I love you, buddy, but like, we really do need to, you know, either figure this out or this is going to continue to deteriorate. Mm. At least that's how I felt. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, I don't want that. Like, I would rather have my friend than have this. So I guess, do you see a situation where you can have both, Absolutely. not in that case, but like just in general. Absolutely, yeah. But again, from the onset, and this is I think where a lot of small businesses, no matter big or small, what have you, really need to look at themselves before they actually get on the ground oh, and establish those relationships this and is establish what, those expectations. Yeah. And that's not something we did. Right. And in hindsight, God, we would, have, we would still have them probably. Mm. But... We didn't do that. Mm, so. mm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So um, I'm in, uh, you know, Iceland have these amazing things where they give to their business clients. And then you came in and your workshop was amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I was like, I need to have you on the podcast. <laughs> I know. I, I think it was like just right up. Maybe it was even before that presentation was done. I was like, nah, you know, because housing is super confusing you know but the way your presentation that you kind of broke it down into super simple terms Thank this you. is kind of what you need to understand and this you is... know that is the biggest compliment i think i've received in the last little while yeah no it's true yeah like, you know because it's really complicated but you simplified it and i think it was just like a 40 45 minute thing mm -hmm. and yeah you knocked it out of the pocket it's like gotta come on the show and, and talk about it Thank so you. You have these experiences and then mm -hmm. it was like, okay, I'm just going to go back and actually like work with this company or mm -hmm. how did that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, I work with Press Realty. Uh, we're locally owned independent brokerage. Um, quite honestly, the broker himself was my next door neighbor and longtime family friend. So I got to know uh, the way Press was being developed in the early 2000s and I was like, 
you know, this is something that I, I align with, my values align with, um, the way that we're actually structured mm. is something that really res resonates with me. Um, because, you know, there's just, there's a couple different structures, the way brokerages can be set up. Um, and some really encourage, uh, competitiveness mm. and don't encourage collaboration between their agents and that's completely fine mm -hmm. they do very very well it's just different styles right mm. um we're at press like we have some top producing agents but like we are a team right mm. if they need help doing something they you know can't handle a client or they are sick or heaven forbid or they're away we have the ability of working together mm. and because for us it's all about the client it's not about the competition per se between the individual agents, it's about getting the client to meet their goal mm. and making sure that they have some of the highest uh, service level possible, mm. right? So we can almost guarantee that uh, if I'm sick, heaven forbid, or can't come in, I can hand you off to someone else. And I know that that person is going to give you the same level of care mm. and, and fiduciary duty and all of this, obviously, um, that I will. Why is that important to press? Like, was that you said it was built from the ground up this way? Mm -hmm. Why is that important to? Because we value relationships. Mm. We are very much a relationship building uh, company. Uh, we work really, really hard to not only create the relationships with our clients, with each other, but also peripheral professionals. So, like all your lawyers, your right. mortgage brokers. So we all have like these small teams mm. that kind of work together. Mm. Obviously, like I have my pool of folks that are, you know, somewhat or not connected at all to the brokerage itself that I know that I work seamlessly with, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to work uh, with me and you don't have a mortgage broker, a lawyer, an inspector, I can provide you with all those people and, you know, a couple people from each category mm. so you can choose and know that you're going to maintain that service level no matter who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so let, let, let's... I, I'm like, okay, um, the rent is... This is actually, before I get into this thing, <laughs> this is something I don't understand with okay. banks and stuff. Like, there are some friends I know that own homes mm -hmm. and it's a freaking amazing home and their mortgage is cheaper than some rents. And it's like, you're not making more than me. Like, why is it kind of, like, you know, I guess, what is that deciding factor where... Banks are like, this person can pay X amount of rent, but yeah, we're not just going to give you a mortgage. Well, I mean, I'm not a mortgage broker, mm -hmm. so I can't full-heartedly speak on that. What I can say is that the individual payment, um, or I should say an individual's payment, is very specific to their situation. Oh. It, comes, it comes honestly down to the house that they're purchasing, where it is, the condition that it is sometimes, um, how economically stable that person is, mm. um, how they look on paper, because, again, not a mortgage broker, mm -hmm. but financial institutions, uh, which mortgage brokers work on behalf of, or mm -hmm. with, I should say, um, really, it's, it's a very cut and dry thing. There's a little bit of leniency, mm -hmm. and if you have a good mortgage broker who has a good relationship with these lending houses, mm -hmm. they can, you know, advocate for you, and you know, paint this picture and get the lenders on board, but they are very cut and dry. Like, gotcha. If you don't meet this criteria, unfortunately, you can't. sorry. But I mean, you think about it. Like, let's say you had X number of dollars to lend. Would you want, you know, a great picture or an okay picture? Right. You know, like it's kind of bad to think about it that way. But if you break it down and think about it in reverse, it's like 
everyone's situation is very different, absolutely. Mm. And everyone deserves the right to a home and to potentially own their own home and all of this. Um, but again, every situation is different. So the mm. bank has to look at everything with a fine-tooth comb. Okay, so let me go to this. Now I'm yeah. like, oh, you know, I've got my things and gear and stuff. And at what point do I reach out to you? Like when I find a house I like or what happens? Honestly, at any stage. Mm. Um, I really like working with first-time home buyers because I'm a very type A person. <laughs> I'm very like, you're going to talk to me a lot. I'm going to tell you a bunch of stuff. And I make sure that you know everything. Mm. I'm going to make sure that you're well educated, like you saw in the presentation. Mm -hmm. So you are you can make clear, educated, decisive decisions, mm. so we can get you in the best home possible, yeah, or investment property possible. Mm -hmm. um, so anywhere along that you know buying journey, up until obviously writing a contract, and you are working with an agent. I don't ever want to steal someone's client. That's mm -hmm. not what I'm saying. Um, but you know, if it's your second home, your first home, and you haven't spoken to your mortgage broker yet, you don't know what. Uh, you're approved for, you don't know what you're buying. Honestly, anywhere along that journey is a great opportunity to jump in and help someone, mm. right? Because we can go look at a home tomorrow, this afternoon, right? <laughs> but could you realistically afford to live there? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. can that home service your needs? Yeah. We don't know until we start kind of, you know, banging Looking out all these specific criteria. Yeah. So I guess the first thing would be like, what do I need type of thing? Yeah. You know, and I knock out. Yeah, because I, I always push the, what are your needs and what are your wants? Ah, and what are your expectations? Right. Those are the three things that really need to shape your decision-making process. Mm. And unfortunately, I hate to say this, but people need to realign their expectations right. in reality. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because, like, you know, you can't leave there because, you know, it's just not going to happen. Well, unfortunately, like, housing has gone up in price. That's the baseline here mm. uh, for multi, multi reasons. Um, but, you know, the at any stage, if you want to look at a $3 million home, we can go look at a $3 million mm -hmm. home. No worry. If you want to look at a you know three hundred thousand dollar home, no worry, we'll find something and we'll talk and we'll get you educated and up to speed and give you the team of support around you to get you where you need to be mm. and uh, make you understand where you need to be in the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh that's great. So um, you know we have this discussion. I meet some criteria. I say, okay, this is what I can afford. This is real. It, you know, it's grounded in reality. What happens from that point on? Yeah. So let's okay. Let's just set the scenario where you have talked to the mortgage broker. Uh, you and I have had a great conversation. I understand what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, I create a very specific search engine for you through the MLS system, so the multiple listing service uh, that real real estate agents pay for. A little bit more advanced than like Viewpoint, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and then we really narrow your search down to where, what, your needs, all of these things, so you are focused on what we can get you in. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, uh, I would even say like three months ago, that would be a very narrow search. Now the market's shifting, so it's starting to loosen up. And you... What affects it really? Because you know what? Um, so COVID happened. Mm. You know, people were leaving, and then and then at least here was one of the safest places and then everybody was moving here that you know kind of made prices go but like now what are some of the factors that affect their pricing like housing prices all kinds of things mm. so the one of the largest is obviously demand so if supply like your 
economics 101. If your supply is really high, your price is going to be really low, mm. right? And your demand is low, so your price is going to be low. But as soon as that supply starts dipping down, your demand starts getting up, it's going to create this sort of tension where supply, where we've seen it the last number of years, mm -hmm. is below, yeah, supply is below demand, so prices are gone up mm -hmm. dramatically. But to reinforce that, the replacement cost, so the actual cost that, you know, let's say, heaven forbid the house burned down, or, you know, a tornado took it out, you need to bring that back the way it was before. Mm -hmm. You cannot replace it. A lot of stock, the old stock in Halifax and Nova Scotia, you cannot replace what you're buying it. And so that's also increased, right? So when new home construction has gone up so much because the, the labor's gone up, yeah. the materials have gone up, the time it takes has gone up mm. because everything's delayed. Like there's so many factors in this tumultuous world that we're trying to transact in mm. that, you know, as real estate agents, we do our damnedest to get you a great price, make you feel comfortable with all this, but we cannot predict what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm. The only thing that we can predict is what's happening right now. No. And yeah. look in the past to tell you what has happened to understand what is happening. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So many things to consider and stuff. So, like, does that mean someone in your position have to, must enjoy spreadsheets? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will say, though, like, our board, the uh, our Provincial board does a great job of kind of breaking all of this data down into bite-sized pieces so we can interpret it clearly. Uh, and there's great discussion. Again, hence why I work on a great team, where we can have great conversation about where we think the market's going and all of this so we can all service our clients to the best of our abilities to understand mm -hmm. the market. So, you know, just a couple of minutes talking to you and even on the presentation, it always kind of boils down to the client. Um, great approach, but coming back to it, mm -hmm. why do you decide on that approach? I mean, I know, sure, these guys are bringing the money, but like, you know, it's a house. People are always going to want to live in a house, but you are focused on mm -hmm. servicing the client, really focused on mm -hmm. that. Why? It's important to me, mm. honestly. Uh, making sure that clients and at the end of the day, the people behind you know, all the money, all the paperwork and all this are happy, mm. right? Like if I'm going to invest in you, because I do, I invest a lot in my clients, time, space, it's a lot of time, a lot mm -hmm. of gas money right now, that's for sure. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> if I'm going to invest in you, like, and I make it very clear, like it's an intimate relationship. Mm -hmm. You have to like me as a person and I have to like you. Mm -hmm. For this relationship to work, we both have to have some sort of common ground, some sort of shared value. Mm -hmm. And so for that reason, the client aspect as opposed to the transaction aspect, meaning that, you know, you can do 500 or, you know, 100 ends a year, so transactions a year, mm -hmm. but is that client getting the best possible service? Mm. Maybe not. Potentially, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. For me, like, if I can do, you know, a couple transactions a month and make sure that my clients are handled very well, mm -hmm. and then, in turn, from if you look, think about it from a marketing perspective, mm. if I'm giving them really good service, are they not going to go tell all their friends and family? Ah, right? Gotcha. And to slightly think of it from a selfish perspective, it's like, I'm a one-person team per se, mm -hmm. right? And I can't do all the marketing in the world, but other people can do it for me, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if I can service these people really, really They're well. Like, you need to talk to that guy. Yeah. And it's, like, <laughs> and it's, again, it's slightly selfish, but it's also slightly honest, mm. right? Like, my three pillars are uh, transparency, education, 
and communication. Ah. Right? So, like, if you need to know something and you want to know something, just ask. Mm. If you want to know why this is happening like this or what's going on, just ask. Mm. And I'll tell you. I'll probably give you five reasons. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make sure that you understand those reasons. Mm. Wow. Yeah. No. So, I, I mean, we we have the discussion and pretty much meet the criteria. We just go and let the bank take care of it. It's that what happens? Kind of. Ish. <laughs> kind of ish. So, I mean, let's say we found you a home. You've talked to a great mortgage broker. Either I've recommended it or you brought them in or what have you. A family friend. doesn't matter. Um, the mortgage broker and I talk quite a bit to make sure that we're both on the same page to get you uh, approved and all the money you need to get this home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, then my job is kind of done once you have an accepted offer. Kind of done. Uh, the next biggest job to be done is between the lawyers and the the mortgage broker, mm. kind of. Uh, the mortgage broker is then going to secure your money because even if you have a pre-approval, that's still pending on some house. Oh. Doesn't matter, right? It, the pre-approval just gives you an, a ballpark of what you can start looking uh, around yeah. in price. But the mortgage broker then really takes that and solidifies, gives you a letter of financing to guarantee that yeah, come closing day, this there's going to be money in that account for yeah. you, like. So they do that, and then the lawyers also kind of, you know, review all the documentation, review if there's any easements or right-of-ways or any liens against the house, make sure mm-hmm. that the, the property's held free and clear. Um, and then, you know, we, we firm up, uh, all of our uh, buyer conditions are met, mm-hmm. um, and then we kind of sit and wait-ish. Hopefully you start packing, because that's <laughs> always a big chore. Yeah. Um, and then come closing day, we... You know, do a walkthrough, make sure it's all good. You tell me that it's you're happy with the condition of the house. I tell the lawyers, hey, you have received those funds. Great, you haven't. Well, I'm going to talk to the mortgage broker, make sure you get those funds. Mm-hmm. And then the lawyer is actually the, the peak of all of this work. The lawyer is the one that actually signs over that deed. Oh. I don't do that. I can make sure that everyone's talking to each other. Everyone's getting this vehicle of a transaction mm. to where it needs to go mm-hmm. but that lawyer is getting across the finish line oh. they're that last push they're that last signature they're that last look to make sure everything's tickety-boo and you can actually buy this home mm. so you mentioned inspectors um mm-hmm. i mean that sounds like really it's, it's super important to do why is it that sometimes either inspectors or people that are bringing an inspector like they miss something you know where a situation where you get a place and then we're like, oh, there's some freaking thing that wasn't mm-hmm. on. What what happens in situations like yeah. that? Yeah, so I mean, an inspector can only do so much, mm. right? They cannot legally, I mean, I'm sure they could, but they cannot legally start taking down walls. Uh. They can't take up the flooring. They are not going to take apart your kitchen. What they're there to do is to do a very thorough, broad stroke investigation of that property. Mm. Outside in, uh hard materials and soft Mm -hmm. to really make sure that you have a good snapshot of the general shape or condition that this home is in. Mm -hmm. Um, If there's some things that they missed, you know, you do sign a release and you do sign some documentation saying that you are responsible for anything else outside of this. Unless it's something, you know, extremely major, like, Mm. I don't know, like they missed the roof, right? (laughs) Big thing to miss, you know, like, 
if the shingles looks fine, they're like, oh, that's okay. But the sheathing underneath, so like uh, that plywood's all rotten, huge problem, right? right? Huge, huge problem. So mm. some will ensure to make sure that you get some sort of compensation for that, not mm-hmm. all. Um, so that's sometimes what happens. And I mean, if you look at markets like Ontario for the last couple of years, a lot of transactions were happening without inspections. What? Yeah. Why would anyone do that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's Is a few, it, that's well, risky, no. right? There are a few reasons, right? If it's a property that is easy, like is replicated and X number of years old and has you know been there for a long time uh, and it's almost prefab. So look at the West End, for example, mm-hmm. um, like all the London streets, right? Uh, a lot of them were built all at the same time. A lot of them have been relatively maintained. So you know, if you're a confident buyer and you've done a transaction before, mm. you may feel comfortable to not have an inspection oh. because you're like, oh, I've seen the structure before, I've been in one, I understand the deficiencies of it, mm. and I'm comfortable with those deficiencies. Mm. So I was looking at it from a systems perspective, right? Even if an inspector brings something up, there may not be an opportunity to do, it. To do a price reduction mm. or even to negotiate down or some sort of compensation May it be replacement or whatever mm-hmm. uh, in the deal. So you almost have to be comfortable with some level of systems work. Oh. And by systems work, I mean the roofing, the heating, the structure, all of that. Right. right? You're buying. You're buying almost an organic environment. Yeah. Right? It's a yeah. non-organic environment, mm. but there's so many things working together mm. to make the structure functional. How about the reverse? Now I've lived here for X years. I'm yeah. like, oh, I want you know, I want to sell this and move to that place. Mm. Do I talk to you or 100%. what happens when I'm like, okay, I'm ready to sell and shit? Yeah. So I mean, let you know, you've had your home for a while. You either are your family's too big, or you're tired of it, or it's not working for you. Mm-hmm. I come in. Uh, you call me up, and I say, what's going on? Oh, I'll come over. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, we have an initial conversation. Right? Why are you selling? Mm. Is it because you did no maintenance and it's falling down? <laughs> I'm probably not going to sell that for you or help you sell that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> is it be- for a reasonable reason? Mm. Right? Are you moving because you're downsizing? Sure. Great. Um, so we walk through the house and I get a good understanding um, of the the condition that your home is in against the rest of like properties in your area, mm-hmm. either on the market or re- recently sold. Mm. Uh, I give you a really clear snapshot called a CMA, a comparative market analysis. Oh, okay. Uh, where I give you a really good understanding of timely data of properties that have sold like yours in recent history. Mm. So you and I can have a conversation about what your home could be worth. Mm-hmm. What it we list it for and what it will sell for are generally two very different things. So one thing I noticed, right, my my dad, they moved in, I don't know, X years ago, say, I don't know, let's say 200, right? But the neighbor's home, same everything, Mm -hmm. because it's one of those buildings where whatever is here is on that side, I can't remember what that's called. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's almost like three times what it is now, right? And it's just a couple of years. So... That means if they ever decide to sell, yep. they're going to sell for three times what they got that place. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. Sick. Because the market has shifted, right? At that time, let's say 20 years ago in the early 2000s, uh, the builders built that home for seventy-five to $100,000. Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know your home, right? Mm. 
then they resold it to your parents for 150 I don't know. Um, because, again, the replacement cost has gone up dramatically. Like, mm. we're talking hundreds of dollars a square foot. Mm. Right? That's generally how builders price it. Oh. Like, you know, maybe 20 years ago, let's put a number on it, say you could build that for $100 a square foot. Mm -hmm. Now you're close to 400 Right. So just in physical material alone, as yeah. long as your parents have maintained their home, mm -hmm. they should... In, you know, theoretically, yeah. get a similar price to what to it's sold what? for. Obviously, market conditions mm. and who is in that market actively trading or looking to actively trade mm -hmm. have some variance on that price. May it be like if there's high competition, they get 30 offers. Obviously, that's a good thing for your parents, yeah. right? They're going <laughs> to get a good price for it, an unexpected high price. Exactly. If there are two offers, mm. there's le most likely less room for outliers mm. to increase that price. That's one thing, like, another thing that's been happening in Halifax, like, in the housing, and I'm mm -hmm. sure you can see this where, you know, the you go on the website and it's, like, X amount, mm -hmm. this is what, say, the person's selling for 300000 like, that's what it was listed for, but then it sold for almost 100000 yeah. extra for... And so you're kind of looking at a couple of things there, right? Like, you are kind of touching on listing strategy. So, oh. as a real estate agent... We have methods of marketing your home. That's pretty much all that real estate agents do. All we do is market. Oh. And we are the facilitator of that transaction. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So on the selling side, the listing agent, so we create a package for you. Like, again, so your parents are selling their home. We go through it. I give them a very clear and decisive package of what I think will cause your home to sell, mm. right? May it be through social media marketing, may it be through traditional forms of marketing, um, open houses, agent open houses, um, events are more of a thing now, obviously because the pandemic's kind of over, mm. people are kind of wanting something different. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we do, we cause the home to sell through their marketing efforts, oh. right? Um, so with that, like, we can never guarantee what your home is going to sell for. Yeah, but yeah. we will do our goddamn hardest job effort to get you the best price possible. Mm. And what that best price possible is, the market value. Right? But, it's when an able-bodied seller and able-bodied buyer come together and agree mm, on a price. Mm. So. Wow. No, that's great. So, how is it... A, like we live in Halifax and buildings are getting torn down, just walking around, just around mm -hmm. the corner, there are three things being built up. Is that a good thing or bad thing for home, I guess, buyers and sellers? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, the provincial government has told us that come 2023, I guess, or no, yeah, 2030, I guess, sorry, uh, they want, they're expecting our population to double. Mm. We are going to be a 2 million person province by 2030. That's fantastic. We have been a have-not province for so long. We have had mass uh, exodus, essentially, of our young people, right? They're all coming back. Mm -hmm. uh, industry is coming. Like, and I mean, like, high-educated industry is coming. Mm -hmm. We have some of the best research centers here. Where are they going to live? Right. So unless we really double down on our building efforts, mm. our prices will only increase going back to supply and demand. Right. If there is no supply and there is so much demand, yeah. prices will skyrocket, right? No one wants that. That's unreasonable expectation, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we have some examples in Canada of that happening, right? 
You have Vancouver, which is a great example, and Toronto, which is, again, a great example of that. The replacement cost of that structure is not what those are trading for. So you're telling me that the actual land cost, because the piece we haven't talked about yet, the land cost is worth X number of dollars mm. because the demand for that is so high, right? Here in Nova Scotia, we still want a reasonable, uh, reasonable um, cost of living, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. We want it to be relatively affordable for people to live here. There are, is a lot of discussion around how it's going to happen. And uh, I think that's a larger topic <laughs> than I, you know, we may or may not have time for. Yeah. But the, one of the only ways to solve that is through building more things, mm. right? And unfortunately, we have had such a clinch on pricing where those with the supply, so builders, landlords, current home sellers or owners, have the supply. So they kind of control what's going to happen, how it's going to transact, right? Mm. Um, so until there's more, it's going to be of that higher price tag than lower. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I always say, and this is just but it's like that, on the first of every month, Killam gets like a billion dollars in their account. Yeah. But um, so as a real estate agent, um, what kind of advice would you have just for the lay person that's getting mm -hmm. themselves ready to, I guess, own their first property? Talk to people. Mm. People are always scared to talk to people. You know, and I think, um, somewhat rightfully so, I think a lot of young people have felt excluded from conversations because they haven't had the opportunity to talk to professionals. Mm. Right? Like, a lot of real estate agents are pretty nice. Like, we're pretty relaxed people. We love to have conversations. We want to talk to young people. We want to talk to people trying to enter the market. Mm -hmm. May you be slightly older. It doesn't matter. Like, mm -hmm. if you want to own a home, come talk to people that can help you do that, right? Mm. If you want to build a house, you want to build a car, who are you going to talk to you want to build a car? Mm -hmm. Someone that mm -hmm. knows how to build a car, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. So you need to start talking to mortgage brokers. Uh, you know, a lawyer might be too big of a step, but you could. Real estate agent for sure, right? Our job is to help that, help you, the client, transact. We do that through relationships, right? Mm. So we, if you don't have a mortgage broker to talk to, go talk to a real estate agent. I guarantee you that every every real estate agent in the city has a mortgage broker that they prefer to you know work with, mm -hmm. and would be glad to give it to you. Hmm. So now putting the show on the other foot, um, someone's like, I, I, you know, really enjoyed Nick's presentation or this episode, and mm -hmm. they're like, I want to be a real estate agent. Yeah. What is the process to become one? Yeah. I mean. So it's relatively easy. Like, you need a high school degree and a certificate from the real estate board. Oh, there's <laughs> like an exam for There this? is an exam, and uh, there is a relatively intensive course. It is very helpful to have some sort of formal education on top of your high school mm -hmm. because it gets you in that mindset to write this expansive exam and study this expansive course, mm -hmm. right? Is it self-study or do you have like classes? When or? I did it, it was in the middle of COVID, so I think it was only self-study. Oh um, they gave you a maximum of, I think, a year to, mm. to like study and write it. Uh, I did it in like three or four months, so mm -hmm. it was relatively quick. But I again come from that background of like, mm. you know, understanding of how to go through that information and, yeah. and reproduce it. Yeah, and then you get the thing, and you, I guess, you have to work with mm -hmm. someone like press, or do you work solo, or yeah. So I mean, a lot of brokerages will help you study for the exam. Oh. Um, there's usually a bit of like a vetting process from the individual, 
would always recommend talking to multiple brokerages to understand who is going to be a good fit for you. All right. Um, because again, people don't really talk about how intimate real estate is, mm, right? Like yeah, you're going to leave there for a very long time. Like you're going to be working with these people shoulder to shoulder. Mm -hmm. You want to know, you want to work with them, mm -hmm. right? And the broker is going to give you great advice, you know? Uh, so you are studying or you have already taken the course or whatever. Um, you will then go talk to a broker at a brokerage. Then the broker will uh, endorse you writing the exam. Oh. So to basically say, once they write, they will work here. Oh. Or once they get their license, they will work here. Gotcha. So then you say, great, and you go to the board and say, I will be working here. They endorse me. You write the exam. You pass the flying colors, hopefully, mm -hmm. uh, and then go work with a brokerage. And, you know, you have this relatively formal, structured course you work through. Then when you're on a brokerage, you then take more training. Right. Right. So every brokerage has very specific training. Like methods. you guys is about customer, customer, customer. Yeah, ours yeah. is all about relationship. Yeah, it's all about right? the client. Man, love that. Nick is always great talking to you and your your workshop was amazing. Um, I guess and now having you on the podcast and hearing of the different things that people do. I love the supply demand thing. I wanna say thank you for coming, but I wanna let you go with this one now. Um, if you weren't doing this, uh, what would you be doing? I have no idea. Wow. I have no idea. Uh, someone asked me recently, like, are you happy with real estate? I was like, absolutely. This has yeah. been the best transition, the best decision I've made in the last probably five years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for coming to the show today. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Mm -hmm.